0: Welcome to The Last Word on the Crosstalk Messages podcast. Every week we take a last look at the message from the most recent Crosstalk. Enjoy this short conversation and stay tuned for the full message directly after. Hello and welcome to The Last Word. My name is JD and this morning I have two very special guests with me. We've got the intern... Duo, the tag team, I, dynamic duo. That's what I was searching for the whole time, and it just took me ten seconds to get there. We have Cam Escalante.
1: That is me. I'm glad to be here, as Paulina would say. <laughs>
0: and we have one John Lewis Young, the fourth. Oh, good.
2: Uh, I'm. I was a lot more glad to be here. No, I'm glad to be here. Yeah,
0: good to be Flatter. here. His social Flatter. security number is. Um, <laughs> totally kidding. But uh, Johnny, we. I was really, really excited last Thursday because we had the opportunity to hear from you, to hear what God was teaching you through Romans chapter 10. And where I wanted to start was uh, just, you made a really big point uh, in reading verse four, where it tells us that Christ is the end of the law for righteousness mm-hmm. for everyone who believes. And so obviously this is, Paul is writing, addressing the Jewish people who are trying to obtain righteousness through their obedience to the law, Mm -hmm. through their ability to do the right thing. And so Paul tells us that Jesus brought an end to this. Yeah. And so what is this? Great, we can see how it applies to the Jewish people, but what does this mean for us that Christ is the end of the law for righteousness?
2: Yeah, for us, I mean... The question i asked myself was like what's the point now which kind of plays into that and the law i think shows us our brokenness and our imperfections mm-hmm. and like it shows the emphasis that we need a savior and yeah. that we need jesus yeah and so i find it as a beautiful thing and it shows us what it took to follow god and um i guess like a blueprint for order mm-hmm. is how i like to think of it if that yeah. makes any sense mm-hmm. And so I kind of use the Ten Commandments as an example on that. Like you just take 10 out of 613 and I struggle to follow those like day in and day out. And so it just shows my need for a savior despite how good I think I am. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And so it's it's really cool and like just such a example of love whenever you see that someone could actually follow all 613 for you and then pay that price that you can, you know, achieve. Mm-hmm. Absolutely.
1: Yeah, I think Johnny broke it down really well on Thursday night and the way he explained it was just like so refreshing to me. I guess to hear about the the order that was needed and how broken we really are. But I think about too with all the laws like presented in the Old Testament. I mean, I think when I think about law, I think about only inner things and and the 10 commandments, but if you mm-hmm. look at them, it's also like our physicality, like we can't we have to present ourselves clean and like all these things and so it's really yeah. interesting to me to see like not only is our inner brokenness so real and so there, but also like we're not worthy in any part of ourselves, like in our outer, on our physicality, on our bodies to even like come close to Jesus Mm -hmm. or to like God because he's so holy and set apart. And so I think it's cool to think about Jesus being not only— The one who's coming in and and redeeming that relationship that we have with God and our inner brokenness, but also just like every part of us needs God and every part of us needs Jesus, and yeah, the six hundred thirteen laws, like I, that's it, blows my mind. Like every time I hear it, that that's what they had to follow in order to be close Mm -hmm. to God, but also with what Johnny was talking about with the ten. I think whenever we try to say like, I need to follow this, 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 and this, and that's when it becomes like this outer like behavior modification thing that we always talk about that we don't want. Mm -hmm. And with Jesus coming in and being the righteousness provided for us, it's so cool that now we don't have to pinpoint and focus on everything we're doing wrong, but we just abide in him and see how his work and his righteousness comes through in our deeds. So I think that's so cool. Mm-hmm.
0: Absolutely. I mean, mm-hmm. we still to this day try to earn our way towards God through yeah. our actions. So if I do enough right things, I'll be in right relationship with Jesus. And this ultimately, Paul just shows us like that is futile.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like
0: when you actually think about this, and if it just in a very logical manner, you could never be righteous enough. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And so, of course, there's a need for a Savior then, which is all he's trying to point out here in... Verse four. So he goes on later, and he says that it's for with the heart that one is believes and is justified, and it's with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Yeah, Johnny, you're doing the hand motions over there, which <laughs> I, I so appreciate because that that like relates to me um, being a kid. And as I was thinking about myself as a kid, I was a I grew up in church, uh, went to like kids camp, went to youth camp, did all the VBSs, things of that nature. I mean, it was like every two years when I came to like a little bit more of an understanding of what like mm-hmm. salvation was that I would be the kid who raised my hand and said I accepted Jesus, mm-hmm. and so this happened four or five times, and I just never felt like I was secure in that salvation. I felt like, oh, I don't know enough. I am not doing enough, or I have all mm-hmm. of these things that that are bad that I've done since then as a kid. But how does this passage? give us security if we have said yes to Jesus. I think it's just such a
2: I don't know, simple statement. It simplifies, I think, mm-hmm. accepting Jesus in your heart because we can overcomplicate it a lot of times and just us personally and it can lead to even churches just complicating how to accept Jesus in your heart. And in reality, you know, you kind of give a sermon one time where it was how sure are you that you're going to heaven? Like, is it, you know, nine out of 10, eight out of 10? Like, it should be 10 out of 10 because, you know, what you did is you accepted Jesus and that truth in your heart. And there's nothing that can separate that because that's a gift that we accepted that we didn't earn and that's secured, you know, our spot's secured in heaven from that. Mm -hmm. And now we just get to, you know, live out that, you know, sanctified life. And so Mm -hmm. I think it's just a very securing feeling and being like, no, it was done. Now it's like it doesn't stop there though at the baptism that it keeps right. going yeah
1: yeah I have a similar story I guess growing up I got saved at camp for the first time and then when I got to high school and I started going to those camps I had every year I was like wait a minute <laughs> was that am, was that real like is this because I learned more and more about who Jesus was and I think I grew closer to him every year at camp. but I think what's really cool about that passage and like us being secure in that is it also reveals like my own pride that comes up every once in a while mm-hmm. when i start to think like oh i i've i've messed up or i'm too far gone or i haven't like been in my in my scriptures like these days i it really brings that pride to the surface that like oh i really think i can save myself mm-hmm. and i really think mm-hmm. i can pull myself yeah. out of what i've gotten myself into and Man, God is so good and so gracious, and um, I forgot what psalm it is, but um, it says, if I am in heaven, you are there, and if I make my bed in the depths of hell, you are there. Mm. Um, and I think that's something so like crucial to cling on to whenever we're have, we, we have a hard time believing this passage or we have a hard time receiving that I am... Redeemed with God and like I am in relationship with him and Jesus Christ is the only righteousness I have and that he saved me mm-hmm. um, I think you have to train your brain for it too like in those times because yeah. <laughs> I mean especially like if you're a new believer I I when I was a new believer I fell back into that like have I really done enough but just rest in the fact that God is bigger than all of your your doubts about your your salvation because he he covers it he's so righteous and he's so good
0: mm. absolutely I think in that that idea of trust really, Hits on things. I mean, when you talk about the Jewish people, they didn't believe Mm -hmm. that Jesus was who he said he was. Mm -hmm. And so that ultimately led to them not placing their trust in Jesus. And as a result, they continued striving. And so Paul, I mean, he tells us in that would have been in chapter nine that he's in anguish over Mm -hmm. this like he Mm -hmm. so badly wants them to realize like the the futility of what they're trying to do to earn their way or to to make themselves righteous enough and it's just simply trusting that jesus is who he said he is Mm -hmm. and saying yes to him and so your last point was that for those of us who have said Mm -hmm. yes to jesus who trust in him that we now have a responsibility then to go out and to tell other people about it paul says that faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. And so that's our responsibility. And so how does that inspire you to then share the truth of the gospel message with those around you?
2: Yeah. Uh today, if you just look around at you know your friends in society, you know, something big happens on social media or in sports or something, then everyone just can't wait to like be the one to share that news. That it's like, oh, there's this big deal that happened. And What, you know, Paul is saying is like, hey, this is the biggest news to ever happen in history, in the world, in the universe. And it's so personal and involves all of you. And how can, you know, more people like hear about this good news if they're not sent Mm -hmm. and told to go share it? And so he's saying like, go and share that good news so that other people can also have this good news to share because it's for all. Yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah. I think of the simplicity of it as I heard the gospel by someone sharing it with me or me hearing about it first and that's where it got me to where I am with my relationship with God and now I want to do that and and share the gospel to the best of my abilities and um JD we it was I think at the beginning of this year or this semester at some point but you talked about boldly sharing the gospel without fearing the repercussions or the the opinions of other people and I think that's really a key and like what it comes down to is God has covered us. He's so good and this is this is the point of our lives and like this is the meaning of it. And yeah. I think when you step into this and you see the goodness of God and you see like the fruits of what it means to share the gospel. I mean, man, I don't know how you could go back <laughs> cuz yeah. you just see, yeah. you step into it and you're like this is so real. This is amazing and seeing salvation come to people and even we had focus this past weekend and like God, he just never fails to amaze me with what he brings and what he does every single year and what he's going to continue doing. So, man, I just think, how could you not see the goodness of God in that? First of all, like, I I heard the gospel. Someone shared it with me, and that's where I'm, and I've seen him work um, in other Mm -hmm. people hearing his good news. So, pretty incredible.
0: Absolutely. Last night with the seniors, we talked about purpose and calling and ultimately like our calling is to love god and to love others to make him known to the people around us and that mm-hmm. to me mm-hmm. and and it's not some like contrived like trying to force inspiration right. for me that is just inspirational that like yeah. i understand what god has done to me to the point that gosh i can't help but to share that with those around me that it is kind of, and people use the analogy all the time, it is the overflowing mm. of what's going on internally for me. And so Johnny, uh, I just wanted to give you the last word, mm-hmm. if you have anything you would uh, like to kind of help us wrap up with and maybe what to look forward to this next week. Yeah, I think just the theme of,
2: after going you know, weeks and weeks into Romans 10 is that what Jesus did was enough, was enough for you and for everyone. And that's the greatest news that you'll ever hear. And so go and share that and find satisfaction in life and just sharing that with the things you love. And so next week on Thursday or this week, I'm excited to hear JD speak, uh, finishing out Israel and their journey in Romans chapter 11. See you all Thursday.
0: Welcome Johnny tonight. He is going to bring the word for us. And before, before he gets started for the evening, what I want to do is I just want to pray for him. So if you guys will bow your heads with me. Father God, Lord, I thank you for Johnny, Jesus. I thank you for his willing heart. I thank you for his servant heart, God. Father, I pray here tonight, Lord, I pray against any any anxiety, Lord, any nervousness, Jesus, and we pray in your name, Lord, that he would speak boldly your truth from your word tonight, God. May your spirit fill him tonight, and may he speak out of that center, God. We pray this all in your name. Amen. Amen. Amen.
3: Hey, guys. What's up? Let's open this big laptop. Oh, man. Don't fall. Okay. What's up, guys? Oh, man, it feels so good to be up here, being able to talk to y'all. i been really looking forward to this, and this is something so new to me, and I'm really, really excited about it. And so um, we're continuing through Romans as we always have been. And if y'all remember, JD a while ago spoke about that Romans is as if Paul is writing this like book about all his beliefs in this one, you know, segment. And so it's really cool, we get a lot of cool stuff in it. And the last cross talk, which is like two weeks ago or whatever, um, JD spoke on Romans nine, which was about, you know, the Jews in their past. And so today, all I'm talking about is Romans 10, which is the Roman Jews in the present. And so Paul here is addressing specifically the Roman Jews and like just a lot of issues that they're facing with trying to, I guess, understand what the cross meant. And it's interesting because that seems very far-fetched that we're reading about, you know, something specific to Roman Jews 2,000 years ago. But in reality, these are things that we face a lot today and that the church faces a lot today. So starting into it, um, I'm gonna tell a little story. And so my biggest fear has always been heights. Any heights fans out there? Yeah, yeah. and um, so you couldn't pay me enough money to ride any roller coaster ever until like about a year ago. I would never get anywhere near heights. And so what I decided to do for my 19th birthday to you know, overcome my fear and impress my new girlfriend is skydive, right? Great idea. And so I you know, booked an appointment and I showed up to the appointment, you know, knee's weak, palms are sweaty, and then they bring you to this room, and in this room you get this tutorial video on how to skydive, simple enough, right? Well, my issue with this video is that the guy like in the video, I kid you not, looked like he ran a cult in the 60s, and he spent half the time telling you what's going to go wrong if you skydive wrong. And so I'm sitting there not very encouraged and there's no one else in the room with you. So if you don't understand the instructions, then good luck. And so I'm not really feeling great at this point. And then all the trust uh, that I had came from the guy that was going to be strapped to my back. I started asking all these questions. He's like, dude, I've skydived like thousands of times. It's my 10th time today. I'm like, sweet. And so we run through the steps and he's like, all right, we're going to you know, fly up, whatever, jump out. And once we jump out, you just like hold on to these straps. And then I'm going to tap you once. And then you're going to like let go and like arch your back like a banana. That was really important. And I'm going to fly, you know. And then he said, once your altitude meter watch thing, like because he gave me one, once I hit 6,000 feet, I'm supposed to pull this like golf ball thing on his hip. And then the parachute opens. And like, so that's it. I'm like, all right, let's do it. So I start, you know, walking to the plane. I'm thinking this beautiful weather to enjoy on my last day on earth. And then we fly up to 14,000 feet, which is so much higher than you think that is. You could see the curve of the earth. It's a little nervy. And so, you know, then we get up and they open the like hatch, and we're doing this like you know awkward squat with this like short old guy on my back. And then we're hanging over the edge, and this is the like maximum fear right here. And then we jumped and it it went pretty good. You know, he like tapped me and I like went like this and I had like paid to get someone to jump and like film, you know, me as I was going. And so I was like, oh, hey, throwing up all these gang signs, I didn't even know what to do. Um, And I was having a good time, but then all of a sudden things kind of took a turn. The guy started like tapping me like a bunch and I was like, what is he doing? This is not a part of the plan. I don't remember this in the instruction video. And then he like grabs my arm and like puts it in front of me, and he like grabs both my arms. I'm like, "What is going on?" And so I was so confused. But what it was is I had forgotten to pull the parachute, (laughs) and so he was trying to put my altitude meter in front of my face to show me, like, "Hey, we were supposed to pull it a while ago." And eventually, he pulled it, and we had a great flight down. Um, But why do I start there? Is because this guy was, you know, urgently trying to do anything he could to get my attention and be like, "Dude, pull your parachute." This is like the last and most important thing you're supposed to do. And so Paul here in Romans 10, is kind of doing the same thing. He's like tapping, shaking arms. He's doing anything he can to get the Roman Jews people's attention and be like, guys, y'all are not listening. What Jesus did on the cross, that was enough. You know, we don't have to work for our salvation anymore. He's trying to get these points across them that they're not like listening to. And so, yeah, he's got a few points. And so we're gonna kind of dissect it as we run through Romans 10. So we're gonna start Romans 10 verses one through four. Paul says, brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they may have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge, for being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. So to the Jewish people, this was groundbreaking. This was like, this made no sense to them because to them, they believed like all that they believed about, you know, like God and salvation, they're like, I still need like works to earn my salvation. That was all he believed. And what Paul's trying to say here is that Jesus brought an end to the law. Jesus brought an end to the law. So what do I mean by this? To explain this, we gotta go way back into the Exodus, the second book of the Bible. And if y'all remember, you know, God's looking at humanity and he's like, man, this is not going well. You know, humans are killing each other, this is horrible. And so God's like, I want to save humanity because I love them. I want to be in a relationship with them. I have awesome plans to, you know, be with them and I want them to love me. And so he picks this certain group of people you call it like, you know, his Avengers. It's the Israelites and there's like hundreds of thousands of them. So obviously he's like, all right, I need law. I need order or else they're going to you know, act like everyone in the world around them. And so through Moses, God gives him 613 rules and laws so that they can you know, continue to be in relationship with God as they continue to follow these. So something important to note is for the next 2,000 years, from that point until Jesus, this shaped their lives. From the moment they woke up, to the moment they went to bed, to like how they eat, to their relationships and everything, they were surrounded by like the law and like all the laws that they needed to follow. And so the thing is that they couldn't follow any of them. If y'all remember, none of them could follow all 613 because guess what? We're imperfect, aren't we? And then this guy, this homie Jesus comes along and he's like, 613 laws say less. And not only does he follow them perfect, but he loves. He loves genuinely. He loves the tax collector, the prostitute. And people are captivated by what he's saying. He's healing you know, the sick. He's giving sight to the blind. And he's so genuine and personal. And you know, I'm over here and... I'm thinking, okay, well, what does this law mean for me today? And the law just shows us what it took to follow God, and it shows us our brokenness. Because just taking the Ten Commandments, that's only 10 out of the 613. And I struggle to follow the Ten Commandments, like, daily. Not about y'all, but, like, I want to, but I fail. And so it shows us our brokenness. Um, And so I'm a religious studies major, if y'all didn't know that. So we talk a lot about a lot of really cool things. And one of the things that some of y'all might know is called perennialism. It's a good Scrabble word for you, and so perennialism is the thought that all religions are different paths up the same mountain. It leads to the same God, and you're like, okay, you're like, I don't believe that. But I understand why people think that, but you know, this is like about Confucianism, Judaism, Christianity. Like every single one is the same path, but perennialism is you know rejected by almost every religious studies scholar. Why? It's because Christianity, because Christianity, like in so many other cases, stands out because it's not us working our way to get to God and earn a spot with him, but rather God came down from the mountain and came and met us right where we're at because he loves us and met us there. And so the issue with this though is that people can kind of take advantage of this grace, if y'all know what I'm talking about. And people think that they could just conjure up this experience with God, you know, once every couple weekends at some retreat and that they could do enough works to maybe like reach out to God and just call that their relationship with him that's just not how God works. What it takes is you just got to stop for a second. You got to stop all the distractions from relationships, from school, from work, from whatever it is, and just like stop, take a breath, look at God's creation, spend time in his word, spend time in community group, lead a group, get discipled. Because once you stop and do that, then you realize that God's been reaching out to you this whole time. It just takes stopping to see that. And a lot of people, you know, you wouldn't claim your relationship with your boyfriend or girlfriend, you wouldn't call it a relationship if you just have a one-minute conversation every night. So why do we act like that with the creator of the universe? We just pray once a night and call that our relationship with him. So Paul then continues on on to his next point in verses 5 through 13. He says, For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. But the righteousness based on faith says, Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down For there's no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. You know, it's such a cool, I always, I don't even play on the stands, but I always think of like when I'm like younger and you do the hand motions of, you know, in church, you're know, like, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, you will be saved. I just always think of that. Cool verse. All right, so to help understand like what Paul's trying to tell the Roman Jews in this passage is, uh, I got a little story again. So I am a track guy. If y'all didn't know, I grew up running track. Yeah, track, <laughs> track, track. Uh, and there's this one meet, though. It was on a Saturday morning at Smithson Valley, and the coach... You went to Smithson Valley? I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> and so the coach went... No, no, they're great, they're great. The coach chose certain people to go to this meet, and I don't know if y'all know a lot about like high school track, but it's never on a weekend, it's never in the morning. I did not want to be there. I had to like drive myself in the morning. I like fell asleep on the field. I was not having a good time. And then I like you know ran my one ten hurdles or whatever, and I ran a horrible race. I felt so bad about it. But every runner has their own timer. So my lady, you know, she came up to me and she was like, "All right, you got this time, and you got third place overall." And I was like, "What? Really?" And I was stoked because they had a podium there. Smithson Valley is bougie. Uh, they had a podium there, so I was so excited because I've never stood on a podium, and that was like my dream to, you know, like get to be called up, and then you like lean down, get the medal. I was so excited. So I ran over to my buddy. I was like, hey, you got to record me. I'm going to go stay on the podium. And so I kind of stood, you know, a little far off, and then, you know, they start calling like 110 hurdles. I was like, and then, you know, they get to third place, and then they call someone else's name. And when I tell y'all, this is so embarrassing because I got a video of it. Is If you want to play the video, my friend was recording. Oh, yeah, old Johnny. Oh, look at him. Look at him standing in glory. That was back in the white tights days. Oh, man. But why do I share this story? Because I was mad. I was like, I deserve to be on that spot on the podium. I didn't care that I ran a bad race, but I was upset because I was like, I deserve that spot on the podium. And what Paul's trying to tell the Roman Jews at this time, he's saying, y'all think that y'all still deserve this spot on the podium, but what Jesus did involves everyone. Everyone gets a spot on that podium who accepts him. And his point is that Jesus's death on the cross was for all of humanity. So what is Paul saying about the Jewish people here? He's calling them out. He's calling the shots. he's saying, Look, y'all got the law and y'all are supposed to follow it. And y'all didn't just like not run a good race. Y'all run backwards, y'all run whichever way, still saying that no one but us belongs on this podium spot right here. And uh, reading Paul kind of give this point, it reminded me of I went through a phase where I got really into apologetics. If y'all know what that is, it's like, hey, I got all the answers to, you know, like how the flood happened, how creation happened, all this stuff. And what I learned really quickly is you'll like never debate anyone into believing in God and to in Jesus. Because you can have all the answers on exactly how the flood happened, on exactly, you know, how Moses parted the sea and everything. But I learned that you could put Jesus Christ right in front of them and they'll still reject him. And that's because, you know, it's not that they're caring that the Bible contradicts itself. They're caring that the Bible contradicts them. And it's not a problem with here, but a problem with here. But that's not the point I'm trying to get to. I'm trying to get to the point that we see that, when you notice that, and as a church, we say, you have a problem with your heart. But really, we got to point that finger back at us and realize that we're judging them and that the reason that they have that problem is because one of the biggest, if not the biggest reason people, you know, reject Jesus is because of church hurt and because of how we judge them, and how we hurt people, because we think that we belong on the podium spot. Jesus loved the tax collector. He loved the prostitute. And we still sit here excluding you know, today's tax collector from our friend group. Socrates has this cool quote, says, an unexamined life is a life not worth living. And Paul here is telling them, hey, y'all gotta re-examine your life. You gotta re-examine your faith and realize that you're living in exclusive faith. And I think that we need to re-examine our lives and our faith and asking the question, are we living in exclusive faith? Are we including people in our friend groups to hang out with us? You know, it's like play volleyball to go to community group or are we looking at them thinking, they probably don't know Jesus. They probably will reject him or not, you know, vibe with us. And so you also might be on the other end of the spectrum. You also might be sitting here thinking, how do I deserve a spot in heaven despite what I've done? You might have done a horrible sin right before you walked in here, and you might be looking at your friends and comparing yourself being like, they're so much holier. You have a better relationship with God, and you know, they're doing great things for God, but who am I to do this? Cause they have, they got something else that I don't have. But I mean, if you look at who wrote Romans, who we've literally been talking about day in and day out, Paul, Paul was not a baker. Paul was not a blacksmith. You can literally label him as like a Christian killer is like all he did. That's all he did and his passion, his occupation is he wanted to kill Christians. And I mean, his bio on Instagram would have been loves long walks by the Sea of Galilee, kill all Christians and single and never ready to mingle. <laughs> I thought you'd like that.
0: <laughs>
1: um,
3: but yeah, no, but literally like that was Paul. And in one instance, in one encounter with Jesus, he turns the other way and says, I get it. I understand. I found the answer that like that was my old life. But now he turns this way to write half of the New Testament. That's insane. So if you ever think you're too far, then like, what what is it? What's too far? What's too big for what Jesus did on the cross? Does he hung on that cross thinking of you by name? And he thought of every sin you have done, every sin you just did and what you will do? And he said, yes, give it to me, I want that. He said, give it to me because I want that relationship with you. I'll take that. And for us to say that our sins too big was what he did not big enough. Did he need to hang up there one second longer? Do you need one extra lash to make it big enough payment for what you've done? No, we just gotta accept it. We just gotta run back to him like the prodigal son running back to his father, you know, with open arms. So continuing, Paul writes in verse 14, how then will they call on him whom they have not believed? How are they to believe in him whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear when someone without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. For they have... Not all obeyed the gospel for Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. So Paul here is reminding them of the great commission. And he's saying, guys, the very last thing that Jesus said before he went to heaven is go make disciples of all nations, discipling or baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. There's gotta be some significance. And that was the last thing he told us. And so Paul's saying, you know, how could anyone that's not Jewish call on, believe, hear, and even preach about Jesus if we never tell them? Coming into college, I saw miracles that God worked in my life. I had a personal relationship with him. I had real experiences with him. These real, just like, it's like a peaceful hug. And he's brought me through like the toughest times. And I knew the truth that he was real. And I told no one. It wasn't until, like, college that I was starting to tell people. There's people that I was working out with. There was people that I was co-workers with. there's family members. There was friends that I never told them all that good news that God did in my life. Why? It's because I was scared of judgment, of what they think of me, of rejection. But when it boils down to, as sad as it sounds, is that my fear of that rejection and disappointment was bigger than my love for them. And the biggest, most influential Christians in my life— It's so cool. The way they they came to the faith is by just observing their friend or their roommate that just lived life different. They notice that their friend, they're like, what's different about him? He's living fulfilled. He's living joyful despite his circumstances. He's got something that I don't. And when they ask them, they can't help but be like, yes, thank you for asking. It's Jesus. He's the one that, just like Paul, came from here and all the way over here. And now my life's completely different. You wouldn't recognize me. And he is the answer. It's like you do find the truth. And what Paul's trying to tell us is to have a sense of urgency to share the gospel. Because my, the most influential Christians in my life, their friends, or roommates, they understood that our time here on earth is cool and fun. It is. But eternity is so much longer and so much cooler. And I hope to see that everyone that I love there. So we need to be on the edge of our seats just wanting to share the gospel with people. So why did the Jewish people think that the podium only belonged to them? Why do we think that? Why do I think that still? You see, we fail as Christians when all we do is people are trying to learn about God and they're trying to accept this good news and to you know get to know us. And all we do is we're just pushing them down and we're just kicking them down and saying, no, like you're not good enough. You got all this stuff. You're not worthy of accepting this good news. And we fail as that because we're seeing them through our how we view them rather than how God views them. When really Jesus calls us to love them and to help them up. And I'm not saying that Christians are on some podium higher than people. I'm just using this as a metaphor, you know, but we're called to include everyone on this on this podium because that's what Jesus did on the cross. 2,000 years ago, Paul really sat there in Corinth writing this letter, hoping hoping that the Jewish people would respond in a very specific way, that they would understand that Jesus fulfilled the law, And that includes you and everyone. So go and share that good news. And so I'm hoping that we're sitting here today and that we respond in a very specific way. That we walk out this room and people ask, what's different about you? There's something off. There's something different that you have that I don't. And that we have this just sudden urge to be like, yes, it's Jesus. Because I understood what he did on that cross was not just for me, but for everyone. And I understand my calling to share that good news. All right, let's pray. Dear Lord, I thank you so much for this opportunity and for everyone in here, God. I thank you for these words that they're not mine, but they're from you, Lord. And I pray that we can all walk out here different, that people question what's going on and what's different from us, Lord. And that's that we understand you and what you did on that cross and what that you fulfilled the law and that you did everything for us already, God. And I pray that we don't Take advantage of that grace, Lord, but that we continue to run back to you, Lord, anytime that we fall because we are imperfect and we will fall, Lord. And I pray that we see that John 16, tells us that we're going to face trials and tribulations, but that you've overcome the world, God. So I pray that we don't expect perfection, but that we understand that we're gonna face trials and that we're not alone in it, God, but that you're there and that we have a community around us and that we can be there for those that are curious about you, Lord, and that we can just love them, not point the finger at them, Lord, I thank you so much for tonight. I pray for safety over this week. And I pray that you just lay these words on all of our hearts, Lord, that we can be reminded of your love day in and day out, that we have a real, genuine, constant
0: relationship.